So we are recording live at Autodesk University with Stephanie Losey. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so kind of give a little bit about your background and what brings you to AU for the, the listening audience. My background, I was a journalist for several years. I wrote for places like Fortune Magazine. And then when digital disruption blew up the media landscape, I became a content marketer before they were calling it content marketing. I was the managing editor of Dell, I was head of content at Visa, and here I am now, uh, leading executive and ABM content at Autodesk. Nice. Content marketing has a, a, a very big place in my heart, so I, I love that. <laughs> love Good that to background. hear. Uh, so you've been really instrumental in developing the, the state of design and make report for Autodesk. What is the report? What, what was kind of the, the significance and what was the, the, the genesis behind Autodesk wanting to create this? It is a global, annual, in year two and beyond, longitudinal survey of thousands of leaders around the world in all of our industries. And the idea to create one was bubbling around the company for years, but it's a very big undertaking, and it requires a level of executive buy-in that takes time to build. Mm -hmm. But we really wanted to be more than a vendor. Uh, we wanted to be a true partner to our customers, and we observed that companies who are considered to be a partner often published original research. And so a year and a half ago, or two years ago, I should say, we dove in, did a very long discovery period where we did research to inform the research. Mm. We didn't say, oh, we know what our customers want from us. We asked them. Yeah. And then we designed the survey to give them the kind of business insights, actionable in business insights that they wanted. And we launched it for the first time last April. Nice. What goes into a process? I imagine it's it's not as easy as we're just gonna you know, do some research, talk to people, and then put something down on paper. There's there's a lot that goes in behind the scenes. Yeah, it's it's hard to describe how much goes into it. <laughs> I mean, for one thing, there's expertise all over the company and outside the company that we had to bring together to create you know the level of study that we wanted to do. Mm -hmm. We brought in subject matter experts from outside the company, from inside the company, futurists like Peter Layden. Uh, we asked them for their thoughts about what we should talk about that would be future forward enough to be interesting year after year, incorporate the right trends. Uh, and then it's the work of so many hands. Everybody says the thing about how it takes a village. It absolutely took a village. I can't even tell you how many teams were involved in the financing. They had to combine their budgets and the creation, the decision-making for this report. And then that doesn't even take into account the go-to-market, which, which touched every motion in our entire company globally. Mm. Any big learning curve or, or learning experience on the, the process side? We'll get into all the, the great details of the report, but anything on the, the, the process side? Yeah, the process side, I, uh, God, there's so many, I have to pick one. I, I think that um, I didn't realize the strength of our teams until they started to do this work. We did partner with an outside firm in year one, and my guess was that we would need their help, their scaffolding, for about three years. That's what I was thinking when I was factoring into our budget. But partway through year one, I found that you know our team knew enough that they could do this without that kind of partnership going forward. And I guess it, it makes sense because you know nobody knows our customers like we do. Nobody knows our industries like we do. Mm -hmm. It's hard to come in from the outside and, and support us. Yeah. We end up educating more than being supported in the end. So yeah, 
for sure. Did you think that as the, the process went along, the, the vision of the report kind of caught fire within Autodesk too, which brought more people into it and kind of raised everybody's awareness and excitement to get involved in it? Absolutely. You know, when you are the team that's most involved with a project that hasn't yet existed, it makes great sense to you. You know, you're picturing it, you're all over it. But, you know, it's hard to get other teams excited or even to get them to understand the concept of something they've never seen before. So, you know, it's like as each team became more and more involved, they started to share the vision, understand what we were trying to do, but it's gonna be so much easier in year two to say, we're doing this again, you know, because now they understand how it helped them to achieve their goals and how it facilitated conversations with customers that they've always wanted to have and they haven't been able to have before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was a learning process for all of us. Yeah, I bet. Oh, and now there's a concrete thing that you can actually wrap your hands around and and flip through pages on it. There's so much great detail in the report. I mean, it's. It's extensive. Uh. Oh my God, one of the fun facts about it was that uh, one of our uh, named accounts leads uh, was talking to an executive and gave the executive the book. The executive kicks back, actually leans back, and is flipping through the book, and his first question is, will you keep the same form factor next year so that I can line them up on my <laughs> shelf? I like it. <laughs> yeah, sustainability-wise, I was thinking, you know, maybe we don't publish any physical books in year one, but they've been such a hit, so we're just, we're, we're putting in more white and less black in year two, so at least <laughs> we won't go. spill so much ink. There you go. <laughs> I like it. Uh, so let's start getting into some of the, the findings. Anything stand out that was surprising to you that you weren't really expecting that came back in the results? Yes, the demonstrable ROI of digital transformation Mm -hmm. was much more powerful than I thought. Um, And I think I thought that because, you know, for years you're sort of twisting people's arms and saying, really, really, if you transform your business, these things will happen. But what I didn't take into account was COVID. So at the time we fielded this survey, they were emerging from COVID and they just had this big proof point of what all these investments were getting them. And so we found that the companies who reported themselves to be the most digitally mature found that they were the most prepared for uncertainty in events like COVID. They reported the highest performance of any of the respondents. And they then said that they plan to make even more investments in the next three years in even more areas. So that was, I'd say that was the key finding of the research. Yeah, I think it's interesting too with COVID happening at that time, you know, there was so much uh, hype, if you will, on, on digital transformation for so long that I think people start kind of tuning it out. But then I think you're right. When the rubber hit the road and COVID happened and everybody had to adopt digital transformation, I think everybody was really pleasantly surprised that the hype wasn't just hype. It was there was a ton of reality behind it. Yeah. I mean, you, you could not have seen that coming. Um, And that led to another of the findings that just rocked me, which is that one of the stats is that leaders felt that there was more change in the workforce in the last three years than in the previous quarter century, which is a crazy statistic. That is insane. That is saying that three years of change wrought by COVID amounted to more than the advent of the internet, email, cloud computing, smartphones. I mean, that's not really possible, but it was very accelerated. And so, you know, this is their perception. They were just coming out of it. And in a sense, you know, they could be right because, 
you know, the internet did change all of our jobs, but, and it changed the way we work, but it didn't make everybody go home for two years and, and possibly not come back. Right. So I get it, I get it, but, uh, but it is an astonishing statistic. Yeah, I, I think it's the, the feeling of the pace of change probably yeah. is really behind that. that Quickening. Stat, that the, there was so much radical change that happened overnight in the last three years where the, you know, the advent of the internet being uh, adopted, that was a, a longer, Process. It was. We could digest it yeah. more, you know, slowly, right. <laughs> and it changed jobs more slowly. But we did say the last quarter century, so they're adding up all of that over a quarter century. It's still saying that it was less impactful than the last three years. You know, this pace of change um, question came up a lot just in the last two days as my team has been interviewing people for next year's report. Mm -hmm. They are reporting to us that they feel like changes is quickening even over COVID, which is very interesting to hear. They're citing AI, of course mm -hmm. they are, as the driver of that sense that they have, that things are getting you know, beyond them in terms of the pace of change. Yeah, what do you think are the, the digital implications of all this rapid digital transformation that's happening across all of AC and, and manufacturing and really around the world too, based on this report. Yeah, um, the the leaders I spoke to in the last two two days were saying that they're very afraid their companies are going to be left behind, because now that they're seeing what's coming next, they're asking themselves how much of a foundation they've put under those changes. Um, we've talked a lot about data, you know, garbage in and garbage out. So a lot of them spoke about that kind of you know data housekeeping that they're suddenly thinking about that they probably weren't thinking about a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, what's the impact of, of AI? You, you brought that up. That's uh, a huge announcement here at Autodesk University with the Autodesk AI. Uh, what are people's kind of thoughts and perceptions uh, or did you go into that in the, the report around? AI? Yeah, we had a couple of questions in, in last year's report. Uh, we took the year one to be a learning year, and then this next one will be the longitudinal study. The data will revisit every year. Mm -hmm. It has many more questions about AI. Mm -hmm. So thankfully, you know, it fell right between, and but not a moment too late yeah. <laughs> for us to incorporate that many questions. Yeah, nice. Uh, from the, the conversations, do you feel that uh, people are, are seeing AI as that, that opportunity there, or is, is there still that, that threat yeah, without, without teasing next year's report too much, I can tell you that trust in AI is, to my mind, surprisingly high. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, it's a concept to them right mm -hmm. now. Um, and I think what they're saying is, you know, they trust that their company will do the right things with AI. But, you know, to be fair to these industries, uh, many of them have been using at least generative for years and uh, finding that it's saving a lot of cycles and it's generating you know, different designs that they can make more sustainable and use you know, this material over that material. And they've been using it for a while. Maybe they're also starting to recognize that although this, 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 you know, this fast pace suddenly is new, AI itself has been a component of their work for a while. It's, it's been a, co a component of Autodesk software for two decades. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a great point that it, it feels it's kind of like the, the last three years of the digital transformation. It feels like it's been really fast and uh, a lot has changed. But when you kind of peel back the, right. the onion there, there's the foundation has been set for a while and people mm -hmm. have uh, adopted more than what they think that they have. So that comfortability factor, hopefully, is there just like it was when, when COVID happened and everybody went home. 
they had that, uh, they were able to shift over quickly. So. Yeah, and everybody says the same thing about uh, AI concerns about it uh, taking jobs. Mm -hmm. and But then in the next breath, everyone I've spoken to says, ah, come on. What's going to happen is it's going to be a tool for your job. Right. So maybe someone who uses that tool could take your job. So it's on all of us to catch up or get ahead or yeah. learn these tools so that they can help us to reduce the number of you know, thankless chores, and we can spend our time on things that are more strategic. Yeah, that was another uh, finding that, that came up in the, the report as well, too, on the, the labor side of things. Obviously, you know, we're, we're going through a, a really tight labor market, and there's a huge shortage, especially with construction, uh, on finding the right talent to come in. What are, were some kind of key findings that, that stood out to you on the, the labor front? First of all, in last year's report, talent was the top challenge across all the industries, mm. construction among them. Uh, and this year, I'm, I'm not seeing it being too different. There's another one that I won't tell you yet. You're going to have to wait till April that is it's rising, like rising <laughs> to equal it. But talent remains an enormous challenge. Uh, many companies uh, reported that they are hiring people who do not have the skills that they need. Mm. They're then attempting to train or, or upskill them. Mm. They're talking a lot about the training programs that they're standing up. Some are using ours and uh, in-house programs, but uh, they, they, those, are, those are often less mature than they would like. They don't find that they have good metrics for them for success, uh, and they're, they're struggling. Um, everyone is. So uh, there, there's also generational problems that they're citing, uh, skills that uh, people were not interested in. Um, I heard a lot about construction, uh, data jobs in construction, the drain to you know tech sector. They spoke about it again, and and but they are optimistic. They really do feel that with the advent of AI or the acceleration in AI, that more people will be, will be drawn to the industry as it's evolving yeah. that way. I, I think they're right. Yeah, I more than agree with that. I think uh, construction specifically, the, one of the interesting kind of dynamics at, at play is that a lot of the jobs that are going to be, you know, two, three years even, we don't know what those titles are. We don't know what they are. They, they don't exist in this current form yeah. uh, in the industry yet. So th that's, to me, that's a really exciting opportunity and, and uh, you know, change. Uh, I love change. I'm, I'm not afraid by that, but uh, I see that as a, a cool possibility that, that can come out there. You hear when you're talking to people, they're just picking it up on their own. That's yeah. what I'm hearing. There There's are no training so programs, right? Yeah, so I'll, self -starters. I'll be around a room and people will be talking about all the tools that they've been trying out and, mm -hmm. and the queries that they send and how they would talk, you know, talk back to Claude and say, why did you do that with my data set? <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, Claude will answer. But they have all these tools. And I did hear a number of responses uh, yesterday and the day before from leaders who were saying that they have their own instance for security's sake. Autodesk does too, by the way, of mm -hmm. uh, GBT. Yeah, mm -hmm. nice. So one of the other big pillars of the report that uh, I took away was on the sustainability side. I yeah. quote some stats uh, so I get it right because there were some good stats. So 90% of respondents said that their industry and company had uh, sustainable, had, had made sustainable changes, but 80% agree that it was uh, really good for the long-term business strategy. Yet I thought it was an interesting dichotomy here. Okay, so with that high percentage, only 17% strongly agreed that they were proud of their company's yeah. sustainability initiatives. What do you think causes that, that disconnect there between, yes, it's important, almost universal, I mean, 90% of people agree on that, but 
uh, a low level of, of pride in what's actually happening. Yeah, so the disparity between those two numbers is the gap between first steps and where they want to be by now. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a growing hunger on behalf of individuals and leaders for their companies to be neutral, carbon neutral. And it's a slow process for many of them. Um, the, the tools they need to get there within their company, externally, support from governments is only partway there. And so, you know, one of the talent findings was that uh, one of the, the, when they're trying to recruit, companies need to be able to demonstrate their sustainability efforts because uh, the younger people want to work for companies that are doing the right thing for the planet they're going to occupy when you know some of us are long gone. So they know they have to for competitive reasons, they know they have to for regulatory reasons, they know they have to for their grandchildren and their grandchildren's grandchildren. And so yeah, you're, you're hearing them say, yes, my company is taking steps. Are, am I pleased with those steps? Am I satisfied with those steps? I am not. However, there's a very promising stat in, hiding in there, which is that you already mentioned the one about long-term business impact. 55% said that they're already seeing short-term business impact. And a lot of industries won't make those kinds of changes until they're seeing short-term business impact. So I think that's good news for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a really interesting set to, to pull out there for sure because the, the aspirational is, is great and I think one of the disconnects there is that it can seem almost too ambitious that people kind of freeze, that they don't know where to start or they don't know yeah. how to fit in into that uh, very aspirational goal uh, and so they, they just kind of stay with the, the status quo instead of figuring out ways that they can partake and, and, and contribute there. Well, almost all of them have two opportunities. One is the sustainability practices of their own company, mm -hmm. their own company's carbon impact, um, and then those of their projects. Mm -hmm. So they can, they, they're finding that they can always get somewhere with a new project. And then it's a longer term process to decarbonize their own company's uh, buildings, it's, uh, their practices. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Any other kind of fun facts or, or tidbits that when people get their hands on the report, they should go explore? Let me see. Oh, I got one. Okay, so 79% of respondents say that their company's very future growth, their company's future, uh -huh. um, uh, depends on digital tools. Mm. Now, I, I, I would have thought that they are feeling appreciative of digital tools, but the very future growth of their company. Yeah. And that was before the big wave of, this is last year's finding from last year's report. This is before all this news about AI. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing where that number lands for next year's study. Yeah, that'll yeah. be interesting. So you mentioned next year's study. What's the, what's the long-term vision behind the report? Yeah, so last year we released it in late April. And we found that that timing worked nicely, and so we're going to do it again this year. You'll see us doing launch events, uh, perhaps in all three geos this time. We did ours uh, last year in London, in Bloomberg's offices, which are the most sustainable. Th it's, the, it's said to be the most sustainable building on the planet, and it was designed by using Autodesk software. So that was lovely synergy there. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think now we'll have one in each of the geos, um, also probably in late April. So you'll see the report and all of its assets hit the road about May 1st. Where do people go to find the report? Autodesk.com, front and center. So nice. easy to find.
very easy, very easy. Uh, so a, a couple just kind of general takeaways from Autodesk University so far. Oh, from Autodesk University. Well, as I was saying, you know, my privilege is that I get to do these qualitative 45 minute long interviews with leaders. I'm very grateful to them that they give us their time so that we can do this. And the things that I learned were very affecting sometimes and very helpful. Um, we were hearing about geopolitical problems that I personally was not aware of that impact their ability to transform their sustainability um, practices. Um, we heard about uh, talent challenges, cost control challenges, and it's a lot. It's a lot to think about, and I, I respect them, and we need them. Awesome. A couple rapid-fire questions, if you will. Okay. Uh, when I say the phrase modeling the future, what comes to mind? Oh, modeling the future. Well, when you said that, I literally thought of an Autodesk model. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Before I came to Autodesk, one of the things that just got to me the most was, and I don't know if you've seen it, that um, rendering of what Autodesk software would have done with the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, no. Okay, so the Golden Gate Bridge, of course, is this, uh, you know, Bauhaus or, uh, you know, uh, kind of a structure, very stylish, very 30s, whatever. But Autodesk software, you know that when it models uh, the, you know, the strongest connections, the lightest materials, all of that stuff, it looks like nature. So it shows you why nature comes up with the shapes that it does, yeah. because when you connect the dots and you don't think about right angles, I mean, right angles are not in nature. So, so I was fascinated to find out that digital tools turn things into natural shapes. Yeah. And so when you say modeling the future, I think about how that organic element, if we lean all the way into it, for sustainability reasons, for example, to you know, waste the fewest materials to make the strongest connections, our world will look more and more Gaudi, yeah. <laughs> more organic than ever. Yeah, that's very cool. It makes me think of the uh, general one or general session day one keynote uh, with the the building, the the modular building that was yeah. down, blanking on the. It's in my backyard. It's in uh, West Oakland. Yes. If, if that's the one you're talking yes. about. Where they they're using mushrooms. Yeah. The, the stalks of mushrooms to make the the building material more sustainable and stuff. It's really fascinating, yeah. really interesting stuff there. Of what's the potential and the, the, the future of, of what construction could look like. Yeah, and new materials and new shapes. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are ideas that are bubbling up that uh, I certainly could never have thought of. I look forward to hearing more of them. Yeah, all right, so one of my favorite topics is around innovation. Uh -huh. What does innovation mean to you? Well, I, I am very excited by AI, mm -hmm. but what I, what I'm, I want AI to allow me to innovate as a human. So I'm frustrated by AIs in the universe, you know, ChatGBT. I had to write um, a death statement, like a, like a career statement about John Glenn, because I advise Glenn Partners, which is a VC firm, and they bring in all of these subject matter experts to talk to their founders once in a while. And so I was trying to write about his career, and, and so I asked ChatGPT, you know, is John Glenn the father of Silicon Valley? And it spewed out some crazy stuff. And it was like, oh, I'm not familiar with that, but you know, there's a Glenn ice cream cone. I mean, it was so hallucinatory. Yeah. 
So, you know, innovation, the, the fact that these models will hopefully get smarter and smarter, less and less biased. Mm -hmm. If I put in a doctor, I want to see some women. I want to see some people of color. I don't want to see, you know, Marcus Welby over and over and over again, which is what it's doing right now. So I think, that, you know, the innovation that we have to think about right now is what these models are based on so that what we put in and what they spit out will make our society better. Mm. That's a good one, that's a good one. Last question for you, if I could give you all power, you could snap your fingers and innovate one thing in this kind of space uh, that we occupy, what, what would you pick to innovate? Oh, those buildings that are doing carbon capture and turning it into rocks. You may have bumped into some of that yeah. in the expo. I would fund so many of them and in space and I would roll back carbon so that we would make our goal to come in under 1.5 degrees of gl uh, global warming and climate change would reverse. I like it. I like it that you may have one of the most uh, aspirational uh, <laughs> I ask that question to everybody. That, that's a great one. Very nice. Well, Stephanie, thanks so much for, for taking the time. And, Thank and you for having me. It's been great.